0: Warning, today's Flash story is rated R for Sex, Scandals, and Satan. Happy Halloween. Act of Devil by Paul S. Jenkins I am the spawn of the devil. Or so mom tells me. On this, my 18th birthday, my dad, I mean my mom's husband, not him, says it's true. I am the devil's spawn, some birthday present, and they kept it from me all this time. There was a group of them at college who were into Satanism. My mom, Betty Bloxam, as she was then, was one of them. It all sounds a bit kinky, going into the woods at the dead of night and dancing in the nude under the full moon. Anyway, they were all high on drugs at the time, so I doubt they knew what they were doing. There was one guy, Jerry, who knew all the stuff. He'd found ancient charts and copied inscriptions from old books. He said he knew how to raise the devil. They'd need to light a fire at midnight and sprinkle it with special essences. And they'd have to dance and chant. In the nude. Then the devil would appear. (laughs) Yeah, right. Laura, his girlfriend, giggled. It's just a way to get us girls to take our clothes off. Not that they needed much persuading, what with the drugs and all. "'It'll be a breeze,' said Bruno, in one of the rare moments he wasn't wrapped around Carol. "'We'll sing and dance, and the evil one will come down.' "'Up,' said Carol. "'What?' "'The devil comes up. From hell!' "'Sure,' said Bruno. "'Whatever. And he'll give us the power.' "'Power?' said Betty, who wasn't convinced that she wanted to prance naked in the woods." She'd be the only singleton of the five. She'd been going with Henry for only a few weeks, and he'd made it clear he didn't hold with any new-age nonsense. Henry didn't do drugs, and not just because he couldn't afford them. He said they were bad for you. Amateur dramatics were his current fad, but she didn't get on with the arty types he usually hung out with. Despite this, she liked him. She thought she might even love him. Health, riches, influence said Jerry, and the protection of the master's hand for the rest of our lives. What will he want in exchange? asked Betty. He's not going to give us all that just for the asking, is he? He'll make it clear what he wants, said Jerry. So, late one moonlit night, Jerry, Laura, Bruno, Carol, and Betty piled out of Bruno's station wagon at the edge of Brinkley Spiny and walked a half-mile to the spot Jerry had identified. It was summer, but a stiff breeze blew through the trees, the rustle of leaves surrounding like the forest breathing. Dry twigs snapped beneath their feet. Betty's long skirt caught on the underbrush as they trudged through the shadows. The girls had declined to walk through the woods naked, but Jerry had said it probably didn't matter. The nudity thing was a myth, in all probability. Carol and Bruno wouldn't have minded, of course. They always seemed to be practically inside each other anyway, no matter who was watching. They reached the spot. A shaft of moonlight picked out the little clearing and they peered outwards to the surrounding gloom. "No one here but us," said Jerry. He kicked the dust, dislodging some broken roots. "We need to make a fire." "Good idea!" said Laura. "I'm freezing!" "For the essences, you idiot," said Jerry. Laura rolled her eyes toward the treetops. "Yeah, of course," she said. Soon a modest pile of twigs graced the centre of the clearing. Jerry withdrew a matchbook from his jeans pocket to light it. The tiny flame sputtered in the breeze, but the dust soon caught and the fire spat into life. Jerry stood up and took off his shirt. He faced the fire, arms outstretched, blonde straggles brushing his shoulders in the wind, pale torso heaving as he called out strange words. Betty thought it was gibberish, but it sounded impressive. Jerry's guttural chants were worthy of one of Henry's performances. Jerry finished chanting and signal for them all to join hands around the fire. Obediently, they formed a circle, and began to walk anti-clockwise around the weakening flames. After two or three revolutions, Jerry made them speed up, muttering his nonsensical incantations. Betty felt silly, though the running, you could hardly call it dancing, was at least keeping her warm. Suddenly, Jerry stopped. He let go of Laura and Carol, and took out a corked glass vial from his pocket. As he held it above the fire, metallic grains glinted in the moonlight. He chanted some more of his nonsense, uncorked the vial, and upended it over the flames. Even though most of the contents scattered on the breeze, those that caught the flames began to flare and spit like raw meat thrown on a hot plate. The spitting became a crescendo that seemed to shift in three dimensions. The roar moved audibly sideways, and the five backed away from the fire. A blinding flash at the edge of the clearing lit up the forest. Smoke billowed from between the trees. A different kind of fire smell filled Betty's nostrils. Rather than wood smoke, this smelled of chemical pyrotechnics. Then, striding through the smoke, he approached. His disproportionate body was covered in gray hair, rippling in the breeze. A slimy tail dragged through the dust, between unmistakable hoofprints trailing each step. Red, bulging eyes stared out from beneath sharp, curled horns on a bulbous head. The evil one fixed his bloodshot stare on each of them in turn, rooting them to the spot. As he looked from one to another of those who had summoned him, Betty saw each of her companions wilt under his unremitting gaze. Bruno made a move as if to run, but the devil incarnate pointed his scaly forefinger at him, and Bruno froze. The hellish monster surveyed his callers. Pointing his finger at Betty, he approached her. Soon she felt his fiery breath on her face, his fingers pulling her collar, a cloven hoof traced the outline of her ankle, and as the devil lifted the hem of her skirt, Betty Bloxam collapsed in a dead faint. The others watched, transfixed, as the devil took his pleasure, but Betty seemed unconscious of it all; and later, when the devil had departed, with no mention of conferring power, They gathered up Betty's barely conscious form, took her back to the station wagon, and drove her home. They talked little of this event. But when, some weeks later, Betty told them she was pregnant, they feared the devil's progeny was within her. They agreed to fund an abortion, something she could ill afford. It was the last Betty saw of them. They made a pledge to keep silent about the whole affair and not to contact one another. College was finishing. Betty and Henry were engaged and they were all going their separate ways. Nine months after that alarming woodland manifestation, I was born. My dad still does his amateur dramatics, but as far as I know, he never wore his devil costume again. That was Merle Lafferty reading for Escape Pod, the science fiction podcast magazine. Find us online at escapepod.org and check out Merle's GeekFu Action Grip at geekfuactiongrip.com.